I'm the Failing Youth Pastor, and welcome to Monday Motivation. Well, welcome to Monday Motivation, episode number three. This episode is actually going to be a sermon that I preached uh, entitled The Rich Young Ruler out of Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. This is a little bit longer than a normal Monday motivation or what I had in mind for a Monday motivation, but I preached this morning and my brain is just dead. I, I am, I am, I'm tapping out. So instead I figured, you know what, I've, I've preached this sermon and I, I think I, I'll just share it with you guys. And so here is that sermon. At the beginning of this sermon, uh, I make a joke about uh, people traveling a long distance and getting to hear the youth guy preach. And uh, the setup for that joke is that one of our church members had a 90th birthday, I believe. And so a bunch of people were coming. It was, it was her birthday that day. And so a bunch of her family traveled from all around to come and be at that service. And so the service was a little bit larger. And so that's what that joke is all about. So anyway, without any further ado, here is the rich young ruler. I hope that it edifies you and I pray that it blesses you. Good, good morning. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know some of you have probably traveled pretty far to, to get here, I'm assuming, some of you. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, we traveled all that way and we get the youth guy. <laughs> you know, it's like, sorry, you know, luck of the draw. <laughs> Your great grandma should have had a different birthday, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> enough of the jokes. I'm sorry. <laughs> my apologies. Um, I can t- my wife is like, stop it. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at a story in in Scripture, uh, and it's an interaction between Jesus and and a rich young ruler, and we're going to dive into that uh, a little bit this morning. Um, But I love this this interaction that Jesus has with with this man because there's a lot of deep uh, application for us. There's implications for our lives within this interaction, Uh, and uh, as we just sang, I Surrender All, um, we're going to see that song actually challenge us this morning. I Surrender All. We're going to see uh, this rich young ruler in this interaction with Jesus, and Jesus is going to tell him, surrender all and follow me. And we're going to see what the rich young ruler does with that. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The words will be up on the screen. Let's go ahead and read it, um, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. So if you'd please stand for the reading of, of God's word this morning. I know, it's like stand up, sit down, all that good stuff. Luke chapter 18, starting in the 18th verse. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning. And I pray that you would soften our hearts so that your word would take root in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So as I was preparing uh, for this morning, I was reminded of a story that I heard uh, a while back. Uh, and it was uh, this, this young man is about to graduate from high school. And ever since he turned 16, he kept petitioning his dad for a Corvette. And his dad was a really wealthy businessman, ran a, a really, really um, uh, lucrative business. And so the boy, you know, when you turn 16, you're like, okay, well, if I wear on him long enough, some of you teenagers know what I'm talking about. You're like, if, I, if I ask him long enough, maybe he'll give in at some point. So he starts at 16. Yeah, that Corvette, that's, that's a nice color of a Corvette, you know. And so he, he starts to, uh, you know, anticipate getting this nice sports car when he graduates. So graduation day comes. They walk across that stage. Um, he doesn't fall down. Everything's great. Uh, he gets his diploma. And afterwards, his dad calls him into the study. And his dad hands him a, a box, a wrapped present. And he opens the, the paper, and he, he opens the box, and he sees a Bible, a really nice leather Bible with his name on it. Within his soul, the young man just starts getting angry. He starts getting really upset, and he throws the Bible across the room, and he stomps out, and he says, with all of your money, all you could give me was a, was a stupid Bible. That young man walks out of that room never to talk to his dad again. His dad, years go by, and his dad continues to pursue a relationship with his son, but the son doesn't reciprocate. Until one day, the young man, now much older, gets a call. Your dad has died and has left you everything. So the son comes back and starts going through his father's things, and he finds the box with the Bible in it. And he opens up the Bible, and it falls open to a highlighted verse, Matthew 7, 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father give what is good to those who ask him? As he reads this passage, a car key falls out of the Bible. 
And on that car key, there's a tag from the dealership. And it says, paid in full, love, dad. The reason why I'm reminded of, of, of this story that I heard a, a while back with the rich young ruler is because they both have a, a, a shared mindset. They value things over relationships. They value the things of the world over and above the things of God. And this morning, we're going to see how Jesus interacts with this rich young ruler, and he's going to pinpoint exactly what his issue really is. And my, my hope and my prayer is this morning, as you walk out of here, that you are, are challenged and hopefully encouraged to reprioritize your life where Jesus becomes the priority and everything else is secondary. Where Jesus becomes number one in your life instead of maybe number five or four or three or maybe even number two. Because a relationship with him trumps everything else. In Luke chapter 18, by this point in Jesus' ministry, he, his teachings start making waves. People start to, to notice. His, his following is, is growing. And, and, and people are starting to thirst for what he is, is offering. But there's people that approach Jesus with their own agendas. They, they, there's Pharisees and Sadducees who are trying to catch Jesus in a trap. And there's other people's, people who come to Jesus with, with other mindsets, other agendas. And the rich young ruler is one of those. Verses 18 to 19 say this. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, not much is known about this, this ruler. We don't know a lot about him. What we do know is that he had status in the community. And we know this because he's a ruler. But we don't know what that authority looks like. We don't know if that's religious in nature or political in nature. But he had authority, he had status, and he had money. Lots of money. And so this, this ruler comes to Jesus and he asks that question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We have a knowledgeable Christian alert. Okay, I'm going to do that one more time in the service, so I figured I'd warn you there. A knowledgeable Christian alert, right? We know that that question is flawed. You don't do anything to gain salvation. But Jesus isn't going to address the man's faulty question here. He's not going to address the fact that this man's coming and being like, well, what do I have to do? What deeds do I have to do? What works do I have to do to earn eternal life? Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, asks a question in response. Why do you call me good? See, goodness was reserved for God alone in the Jewish context because goodness represented complete wholeness and moral perfection. 
Now, Jesus isn't denying that as the incarnate God, that he is good. He's wondering why a man who barely knows him would address him in, in a way that no other rabbi would ever be addressed by. Some commentators, and I, I agree with them, attribute this man's um, title of Jesus here as flattery. He's hoping, right, he's heard about this prestigious rabbi, this Jesus guy, and so I want to get a hearing with him. So I'm going to give him some high praise, right? I want, I want to have this interaction, so I'm going to give him this high praise, hoping that I'll have a conversation with him. But unbeknownst to him, he wasn't just talking to a rabbi, he was actually talking to the Savior of the world, So Jesus kind of questions the, the man's misunderstanding of the word good, and then we think, okay, this is where he's going to just slam him, right? He's going to be like, look, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in me, Jesus alone, right? Wrong. He doesn't do that. Verse 20, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Now, before we dive into this list of commandments, it's important for us to understand the, rule, the, the role of the law in our own lives. The primary purpose of the law is to show us how holy God is and how unholy we are. Its primary purpose is to show us how we fall short of the glory of God. It's the mirror that we hold up in front of our faces to see every pimple and every you know, weird blemish and spot uh, on our own lives. But there's something really interesting about this list. Jesus is listing out what's called the second table of the law of God. So most of us in here probably know the Ten Commandments, or at least you, know, you could lay out a number of them. Uh, within the Ten Commandments, you have two tables. You have the first table, and that deals with our relationship with God, right? So the first four of the Ten Commandments, things like no gods before me, no graven images, not taking the Lord's name in vain and keeping the Sabbath, those are first table laws. But then you have second table. Second table laws deal with how we interact with each other, fellow human beings, and there's six of those in the Ten Commandments. Jesus lists five. Can anyone tell? Can anyone figure out which one he doesn't list? Nobody? You shall not covet. Yes, Mr. Ray nailed it, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his possessions, right? Jesus doesn't point that one out. I wonder why Jesus would be talking to a rich guy and he wouldn't point that one out. That's kind of strange. Let's figure out why he does that. Yeah? Okay, let's do it. So the man responds. Jesus gives him this list, right? The five of the six of the second table of the Ten Commandments. And the man responds immediately. What does he say? All these I have kept since I was a boy. Wee wee wee. We have another knowledgeable Christian alert, right? Um, here, when I hear that, like when he says that, 
right? I expect Jesus to be like, well, if you've lusted after a woman in your own heart, then you've committed adultery with her in your heart, right? Because that's what Jesus taught earlier in his ministry. Or if you've ever hated somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. Those are Jesus' teachings. I expect him to say that to the man, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't say that. See, Jesus knows the heart of this man. This man comes to him, and he seems fervent uh, in, in keeping the law, right? From the outside, he seems like he's a law-abiding, godly man. And this is actually highlighted by the fact that he's wealthy. In that culture and in that time, wealth was seen as a blessing from God. So if you were wealthy, God must be looking down on you, you know, shining in the light a little bit, little bit more than other people, right? It's, a, it's an extra blessing. And so the rich young ruler, his issue wasn't obeying the commands that Jesus lifted out. His issue was covetousness and an idolatry of a different God, the God of money. Jesus' response to this to the man who says, yes, I've kept all these since I was a boy, strikes right to the core. Jesus is going to pierce the, the facade of this man's holiness right to his heart when he says this. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. These words that obviously stand out, right? This ruler uh, that he's talking to seemingly had everything. He had wealth, he had status. Uh, on the outside, he was morally upright, keeping the, the law. He had everything that the world and the culture of that time said was worth attaining. And as long as he could keep those things he was willing to follow Jesus. As long as he could keep his status, he was willing to follow Jesus. As long as he could keep his, his authority, he was willing to follow Jesus. As long as he could keep his money, he was willing to follow Jesus. But Jesus challenges him with the greatest law of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He challenges him right where his priorities are. See, the man prioritized money over God. Certainly, God was important to him. He's coming to Jesus wondering, how do I get this eternal life you're talking about? But ultimately, God was secondary. And so instead of Jesus dealing with this, this man's like faulty flattery or dealing with his misunderstanding of how he's saved or his lack of the fact that he's actually keeping the law, Jesus zeroes in on what is really holding this man hostage, his idolatrous relationship with money. But here, I think there's big application for us today. Now, I don't think everyone in this room is called to sell everything they have and give it to me. I just think most of you are. Just a little joke, but I'll be in the back. <laughs> I do, however, believe that everyone is called to actually follow Jesus. That's the call. 
See, many people can do immense good with the money that they have, the money that they have earned. They can support missionaries. They can support churches. They can support charities. They can support lowly youth pastors. But the money that they have should never be what keeps them from being obedient to Jesus. See, for the rich young ruler, his money wasn't a tool that he could use to further Jesus' ministry. It actually enslaved him. And the call of Jesus is to freedom, not to slavery. The call of Jesus leads us to life abundant, to have joy, to have meaning. But it's also a hard road. A road that sometimes requires us to lose everything in order to be obedient to God. So the question for us today isn't, will you sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus? The question is this, are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? As Luke said in nine, or as uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. That's the question for us. That's the application. Whatever sin is creeping up in your life, are you willing to deny that to follow Jesus? Are you willing to die to yourself to find life in Jesus? The rich young ruler could not and would not give up his idol. He would not deny himself to follow Jesus. He was not prepared for the cost that Jesus was demanding upon his life that would lead him to eternal life. Verses 23 through 25. When he heard this, the rich young ruler, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to do what it took to follow Jesus. He was hoping that he wouldn't have to sacrifice anything to gain everything. Yet, Jesus pinpoints his idolatry. The rich man becomes sad. Um, this story, this interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler is actually in the other two synoptic gospels, in Matthew and in Mark. And um, they record it uh, very similarly. His face fell, and they say that he ends up walking away. Now, obviously, he doesn't continue to follow Jesus after this, but they specifically point out the fact that the man walks away sad. But Jesus here uses really interesting language. And most of us have probably heard this before. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this phrase of Jesus right here has been sliced and diced in more ways than an onion at a hibachi grill, okay? Um, I've seen some crazy explanations online. One of my favorite ones, um, <clears throat> and it's actually, it, it, I like it, but it's not true. Um, so at night, if you went to a city and nighttime came down, they would close the main gates. But they would have to have a way for you to get in, right? Because if you don't make it to a city by nightfall, you don't want to be stuck outside. You want to be inside the walls. Inside the walls, safe. Outside the walls, not. 
okay? And so they would have this little, like, doorway thing. And people say that that was called the eye of the needle. And so if you were traveling and you get to a city a little bit late, um, you'd have to try to get inside. And so you would have to take off all of the, the, the stuff that the camel is wearing, and then the camel would have to get down on its knees and, like, shimmy through this little door, right? So you'd have to, like, push it and shimmy it and get through the door. And they would call that the eye of the needle, right? And there's some beautiful imagery there, right? Like, okay, you got to come, and then you got to take your burdens off, and then you got to go through the narrow gate to enter the kingdom of God. Like, there's, man, that's, that'll preach. You know, that's what I thought when I first read that. I was like, oh, that'll preach. The problem is that's nonsense. Now, there were doors like that that people had to get in, but Jesus wasn't talking about a door that was commonly used by camels to get into a city. Jesus was talking about an actual needle and a camel. That's what Jesus was talking about. How do we know that? We know that by the response of the people who were listening. See, Jesus' purpose in saying that is that they, he wanted to communicate that entering the kingdom of God was impossible. Because I don't know about you, but if you try to get a camel through the eye of a needle and the camel's actually a camel at the end of it, that seems pretty impossible to me. But notice how the people that are hearing this interaction, how they respond, right? I, I view it as, how, how many of you know what a meerkat is? Does any you guys know what a meerkats are? Have you ever seen a documentary, a nature show? Like they're on the Serengeti and they're in these little like, they kind of group together and they're on the piles and then all of a sudden you see them like pop up. Anybody, you, you don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, some people do. Other people are like, dude, this guy is nuts, okay? <laughs> well, we have right here like a meerkat moment. Like Jesus says, the, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich enter the kingdom of God. And like you kind of see all these people like, what? Like, we heard something crazy, Jesus. That's a, little, that's a little nuts. We have a meerkat moment. Because notice in verse 26, those that heard this asked, who then can be saved? Multiple people that are hearing this interaction are asking the same question. See, if Jesus was referring to a door that was frequently used by travelers, this question makes no sense. But Jesus wasn't referring to a tiny door that camels squeeze through routinely. He was talking about the actual camel and the actual needle. That was his illustration. That was his point. That needle's not to size, by the way. <laughs> and so the listener's question makes a whole lot of sense, right? If Jesus, if you're talking about this rich man who is blessed by God because he's rich and he's morally upright and he keeps the law to the best of his ability, if that dude can't enter the kingdom of heaven, what hope is there for me? This is where Jesus hammers home the point. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This is where Jesus flips the premise of the rich young ruler's question on its head. 
Through your own power, you can't be saved. There is nothing that you do to gain eternal life. But that message is totally antithetical to the natural person. We live our lives based on cause and effect. If I make $10 an hour and I work 40 hours a week, I'm not very good at math, but I should be getting $400 minus the government stealing my money. Okay, I'm just joking. But with taxes, like, you owe me 400 bucks, right? That's just how the general math breaks down. I work it, therefore my wage is earned, $400. But God's economy is different. We don't earn our salvation. In fact, what we earn is the opposite. It's death. For the wages of sin is death. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6. Why is it that we have earned death? Because even our righteous actions are like filthy rags before a holy God. Even the good stuff you do is like trash to God. That's why Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but he doesn't stop there. In Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life. You don't earn salvation. It's given to you. You don't earn an inheritance. It's given to you. Salvation is a gift. From God. And so Jesus wasn't lying when he said that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because it's impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of God without the miraculous gift of God. If you think a camel going through the eye of a needle is difficult, try dying on a cross, being buried for three days, and coming back to life. If you think the camel thing is hard, that's tougher. And we are saved wholly and completely through the finished work of Jesus, not of our own doing. We are saved not because we are righteous, but because we are covered by his righteousness. We will be raised to eternal life not because we outsmarted death, but because Jesus defeated it. Friends, most of you have heard this message probably about a million times. You're going to hear it again. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Salvation can be found in no one else and in nothing else. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Some of you might be sitting in here this morning and and you're wondering if the pot roast is burning. Some of you are are thinking about the activities that you're going to do after service. Or maybe you're like me and you're like, I hope there's enough treats for fellowship time. I'm thinking that right now, actually. (laughs) Better get get back there quick. But don't leave this service without knowing where your hope is found. Don't walk out of here this morning carrying the weight of your sin. Don't be like the rich young ruler who walks out sad without a relationship with Jesus. 
but rather walk out this morning with joy, knowing that your sin has been nailed to the cross, that the wages that you have earned have been exchanged for righteousness and eternal life that's found in Christ Jesus for those who confess and believe in him. All of that is possible because we serve a God of the impossible. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Trust Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Love Jesus and follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we don't have to do it on our own. That we are not called to try to work out our salvation by ourselves, but rather you purchased our salvation. God, I pray for maybe some people in here that they've just never entered that relationship with you. I pray that you would do a mighty work in their heart this morning. That they would come to you willing to deny themselves and follow you. God, I pray for, for those who have felt like maybe they've, they've wandered astray. I pray that you pull them back. That you show up in their lives in an amazing way. That they would know that you are theirs and they are yours. God, help us to remain faithful to you, to trust in you, to run to you, and to follow you today and for the rest of our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.